find a pay to steal a man. Pack it to go, a pay to steal a man. I'm strong to the finish, cause I eat me spinach. I'm a pay to steal a man. And uh, I gotta say, it, it's glad I'm glad to be back. It's been so long. Last time I watched RoboCop, and I was ready to hang up my hat and stop <laughs> podcasting forever. But then you call me on the phone. It's actually like a hotline. It's like a red phone hidden inside a bust of William Shakespeare. And yeah. I-, I heard that Calvin was gone. Indeed, he's been uh, MIA for the last one as well, so it's uh, two weeks in a row now that Calvin has uh, disappeared, Uh, but I'm glad that you were here to fill his shoes in this role of talking to me about movies. Did he just abandon us in our time of need? You know, I'm I'm starting to think so. I'm not entirely certain. He says he's sick, which which I believe because he's perpetually sick uh, almost on every show. But uh, he's not one to call out like this all the time. And I'm starting to think that maybe he just enjoys hearing me talk with other people on the podcast. It's some kind of uh, podcast cuckoldery, if you will. <laughs> he still edits, right? So I mean, yes. that's the perfect voyeur angle. Yeah, that's my, my leading theory for this, is that Calvin somehow just, he, he gets his rocks off, I guess, on hearing me talk to other people. About movies he doesn't like, like Police Story? Yeah, last week we talked about Police Story, I had Graham on to talk to me about Police Story, because I knew uh, he wouldn't uh, ever do that with me, so I was happy to, to take that opportunity. Uh, I should have thought of something else for this week that he didn't like that I could have gone into. I don't know, maybe we did another, I thought about doing Police Story too, but I wanted to swap it up a little bit. How many how many people are like huge fans of the Popeye movie though? Like I don't think that's in the top ten of Cal's, you know. I kind of felt bad about doing Alien and mm-hmm. you know, public apology to anyone that watched the Alien or listened to the Alien podcast and hoped for a good one. But uh th- I could understand you being upset for not being on that. I don't I think Cal will be okay not being on Popeye. Maybe, but you also know that Calvin is just, like, a sucker for controversial films, like, like splitting opinions, and uh, Popeye certainly has that to it, so he might be uh, sad to, to not come on and sing the Everything is Food song with us. Everything is food. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. But yeah, thank you, bro, for coming and taking his place uh, for this episode. Uh, this is our first time, I think, just me and you, so it should be a fun... Uh, joke-filled session, as we are both <laughs> com- great comedians, known for our comedic talents. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I gotta say, I've, uh, I've start, recently started a new podcast. This is the easiest way to transition, I'm sorry, David. It's fine. Because I, I gotta talk about it. Fine, we'll it's... talk about your, your podcast. <laughs> if, you, if you've uh, got to. You, can... you just opened it so widely, because the thing is, is I view me and Pavlos's video game podcast, the Daydream Cast, uh, featured on Twin Geeks, um, as sort of the video game equivalent. I see you and Pavlos as literally the same person, but you have a German accent. <laughs> I like to think that I would uh, 
not only be uh, sounded much like Pavlos if I was German, but also I would look much like him. He's got a very attractive set of features, and I hope he uh, appreciates these compliments when he <laughs> listens to the show. Ho- hopefully, and, uh, I'm basically Calvin, where I just say wild shit all the time, <laughs> and I just hope David, you know, doesn't pick up on it. You know, that was kind of our intent in, in kind of uh, fostering your guys' podcast there, is that we wanted to recreate ourselves, but in a more video game-focused format, and everything just happened to fall into place there. But, you know, I wasn't originally going to talk with you about it, because we got a little bit of beef with you guys, constantly trying to undermine our success here on the show. Every Here's week- my <laughs> argument, and technically, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm supposed to keep the beef up. I think the beef is mainly between Cal and Pavlos. I think you and I are neutral parties to this. Yeah, that's that's how the cross-section of the podcasts here work. The the David of the Daydream cast has to argue with the Calvin of the Twin Geek cast in order to create that uh, tense dynamic between the two. And we <laughs> have to be neutral and all buddy-buddy to balance things out. That's the only way this whole, whole thing will work, this feud it's, that it's we have. It's a complex balance that we have to operate every single week. You know? Well, every two weeks for you guys. That's fair. It's a way easier job. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I imagine it is. Look, you guys got to work up your way there. For us, it was very natural to start out just week by week. But, you know, I guess we were a little rougher than you guys were out the gate. We, we kind of paved the way and created the format and all that. In my, in my defense, David... If you if you just want to do a spur of the moment podcast, the two like an hour podcast on a movie, that's a, like a two hour investment. Three hours if you're feeling frisky, you know. But like, um, fucking video game, I have to dedicate hours upon hours to getting sixty percent of the content done. Sure, I suppose if you're not good at video games, it'll take you that long. I'm not good at video <laughs> games. They haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I'm, like, pretending to be good at video games in front of Pavlos. <laughs> well, now he's going to hear this and know that, you know, your whole charade is... I'm a fraud! Is, yeah. Uh, but that that explains some things as well. But I understand, then, why it takes you a little longer to get through things. I, I mean, it also took you a little while to get through the movie here. You get in, like, one movie a week. But thankfully, you picked our, our subject matter this week. I was able to convince you to watch a movie as well, so you could come here and... Save us from Calvin's voyeuristic, fetishistic <laughs> editing of me talking to other people. <laughs> You're welcome, David. <laughs> so, uh, aside from all of that, do we have any other introductions before we get into the sad, tragic news? Uh, I, I guess not. I'm sure people know you by now. Do you have... Uh... No, no, I don't... I don't think so. There's no new news, really. Uh, everything's still movie-wise dead as doornails. Everything, yeah. <laughs> everything's fucking dead. Uh, t- wait, time out. I, I saw, and I'm not sure if it's official. I I don't think I'll remember it when we talk about it. So I I just want to say it now. Did you hear that there's a possibility that the Gendy Tarkovsky uh, animated Popeye is getting picked back up? I would be... Uh, amazed if that happened i would be absolutely ecstatic uh, i i heard <laughs> bullshit hollywood reporter internet news that said that was possible and it that, happened that would make me so great you know coincidentally i didn't mean to do this as well but like i've been 
watching a bit of Gendy stuff before. I just went through and rewatched a bunch of Samurai Jack recently. I finally got around to that last season. That oh, what did you think of that? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite done, but I was like, oh my god, wow, what an in, uh, intensive kind of, like, mature step up. Even though the, the show preceding it, the first four seasons, is, you know, really incredible in its own right. Uh, the fact that the moving from Cartoon Network to Adult Swim allowed them to explore a lot more complex and adult themes, and I thought the way they've done that is really fantastic. And, of course, the, the upgrades in animation in the absence, was it, like, 12 years since yeah. between the seasons? Yeah, yeah. What I really liked was, like, the dedication to a singular story throughout the entire season. Some yes. people had some problems with newly introduced characters or whatever, but I thought it was a very good example of taking the episodic storytelling and turning it into a more sequential, canonical story to bring a, a satisfying end to yes. the, the series we all know. I, I agree with that entirely, and the fact that, I mean, it, it was very easy for me, for me to go from one episode to the next, because there was a clear hook, and there was consequence from each action to the next, and starting off, like, uh, with having this mission of Jack having to get his sword back, that lost, I think that was a very nice uh, symbolic journey for him to have to complete as well. Uh, as far as, like, the additional characters things, I enjoyed uh, the the addition of uh, the Tara Strong's character she plays. I don't remember the name, but... Uh, I think it's, like, Shuri or something. A it's... Anyway, the, the only problem I had with that, as I'm sure probably some other people had as well, just, like, the romantic angle it, it took in, in one episode later on. Like, I'm like, ah... Oh, I, it... I, I think it really manifested poorly near the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you finish it? No, I'm, I'm two episodes from the end. I was going to... I can't, I can't say any more, then. Okay. As it gets near the end, it kind of gets worse. But oh, I no. think the start was very strong. For me. Yes, yes, that's that's definitely where I was feeling. There was a some episodes in the, uh, the like the third or fourth one I thought was you know really these these phenomenal episodes that committed to exploring the psyche of Jack and the troubles he has overcome and his grief and trauma and all that and the strength he has to regain to actually you know come back and fight a coup and stuff. There's also a Samurai Jack video game coming out in 2020. How fucking crazy is that? That is super crazy. Uh, it's weird that just sudden renewed interest in the last five years, over the last did, five years. Did you years think forward. we were going to be talking about this when we hit record, David? You know, I I'd kind of thought I was like, oh, maybe we will, like, because I was aware of the the Gendy connection there. I was like, maybe it'll come up and maybe I'll drop it in there. And uh, I just didn't expect to before we actually got to Popeye itself. <laughs> That's fine. But it works. It works because it is tied in with uh, what we're watching right now, which. Uh, I guess I can ask you as well. What have you been watching, bro? Uh, what was it? What was it? What was it? Oh, no. what was it? Crap, You're too crap, busy crap. playing video games so you can prepare <laughs> for your podcast. All I do is play video games. Uh, it was TV, wasn't it? Oh no! <laughs> say what you. What else you've been watching? I'll remember it. Uh, okay, I guess I'll say one other thing because, of course, I've been watching movies as well. I don't have a whole lot of. Maybe particular. Oh, I guess I could talk more about Jackie Chan just to, to torture uh, Calvin a little bit more. I remember it. Forget about Jackie Chan. Throw <laughs> it in the garbage. I remember now. Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. Hey, I could talk about that because I've been watching that too. Rick and Morty started back up about two weeks ago, so I've seen the the next two episodes so far. I'm up to date. Yes. Have you been up to date? I am up to date as well. I watch on on Mondays when those uh, the next day when they come out because I can't watch them live, but I do watch them the next day, and I am up to date. How do you feel about the entire season 
and then how it picked back up. I have been thoroughly enjoying the entire season thus far. It definitely feels like it's it's a lot more like meta kind of like communicating with the fan base a lot more, uh, especially in like the, the fourth season's first episode and uh, the return of this, uh, the midpoint season here. Uh, it definitely feels like they're addressing the fan base and in some ways giving them a middle finger, but also in many ways like fulfilling what they want in, in these weird non-fulfilling ways, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially like the 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 last, not, not this most recent one, but the one before that, where they're on the, the story, story train. The story train. You're referring yeah. to the story train. Which I am. is the most meta they've probably ever been. They talk about the formula for the show, and mm-hmm. they go into, like, in the different vignettes, uh, different possibilities that people have been wanting to see or think that the, that the story writers ought to go to. And I think the point of the episode was it was very hard for writers to make a good original story that's competent enough to the formula, but also, especially at the very end, pleasing to advertisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what was smart about the episode in that it, it it's very kind of like classically Rick and Morty in that it contains a lot of the stuff people praise about it and the way it kind of messes with expectation and story structure and, you know... Uh, just, just general convention and stuff, but it, it does it in a way that's not entirely impossible to follow. They do, you know, sit down and explain it with, like, the story circle at one point pretty explicitly. But there's definitely, like, uh, it, it can very easily go over your head if you're not really keeping up with it. And so I think it'll placate the people who are looking to feel smart for watching Rick and Morty, but it's also, again, <laughs> kind of making fun of those people who think they're so good at it that they can follow this show, which totally flies in the face of conventionality. I think the newest episode was much more of a standard Rick and Morty where you you were expecting one thing and you're getting an entire episode of something weird. Yeah, I I think I would agree with that. It 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 was uh it was lesser, I think, but I think that was a much stronger simple episode. I enjoyed it a lot. It definitely feels like, in some ways, it retreads a lot of ground. Like, it's that subversion of expectations where it's like, oh, in this, you know, area, Morty is, you know, the more competent, respected one, and Rick is some loser over here, which we've seen done in various other episodes prior. And the same thing with, like, Summer. Wasn't Summer, like, the queen of some other civilization in a different episode at one point? Oh, yeah, that was the Gazorpazorp episode. Yeah, so... Uh, Expert it, in lore, everybody. <laughs> it seems like they're they're uh, bringing you know, uh, taking from the same well again in many different aspects. But it's still very entertaining and fun and uh, uh, you know very uh, hype, actually paced. No, I mean I enjoy it, and I think uh, if, if the rest of the season uh, has that delicate balance, I, I think I think I'll like the season overall. Yeah, uh, I can't think of really any episode in particular I didn't like a whole lot. Maybe like the the toilet one in the, the it was like the second episode of the season, and then the Game of Thrones riff, which I know a lot of people really liked. But it Are was you talking just... about the dragon one? Yeah, that's not Game of Thrones. That's, that's some weird dragon shit. <laughs> I thought they were tying it specifically because isn't the guy who voices the dragon on Game of Thrones? That's not like specifically that. I Dude, think. Uh, I all think right, is someone? Like a... As someone who doesn't watch Game of Thrones, all you hear about it is, like, the fucking dragons all the time. So, excuse me for drawing that the parallel between the two. <laughs> that is not the main appeal of Game of Thrones. You're right. Game it's of the... Thrones, like, 
core appeal, I guess I could get into it. I'm surprised Tyler never told you this. Also plugging Tyler, I guess, for the cast. But, like, the appeal of Game of Thrones is, like, politics. It's like, oh, this one kingdom is, like... Oh, but did you know the secret for this other kingdom? And then, and then they, like, plot for an entire season. And then the, when the episode comes, it's sort of wacky. But, you know, whatever. Right. As someone on the outside, all you ever really hear about Game of Thrones is is dragons, and winter is coming, and that there's a lot of nudity and sex in it because it's an HBO show. So, th- so that is my perception from the outside of Game of Thrones. And now You're that it's not over... Wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. I gotta say it, but <laughs> I don't. I don't think the episode was specifically for that. I think it was sort of like combining sexuality and dragons in like that, a weird way. I don't know what was going on with it. I, I got nothing, bro, bro. I hate to tell you, but combining sexuality and dragons is literally the description of Game of Thrones I just gave. All right, all right. You beat me. <laughs> you beat me. Has there been anything else you've been watching, or is that the uh, the main thing? Just those two episodes of Rick and Morty and a bunch of video games for your podcast? Look, I thought I wasn't going to be on here again for, like, an eternity. <laughs> you called me! Yeah, alright, that's fair, that's fair. Well, uh, I think that's about it for the new stuff for us, uh, unless you want me to torture Calvin with some more Jackie Chan riffing for a little bit. Go ahead and... Go a little, just like okay, a okay, a little, a little. I'll talk. I'll talk about the the one film I saw because I I hinted that I was going to watch some more Jackie Chan films that came to the Criterion Channel last week when uh, I was discussing with Graham. And the the one that I watched that I really enjoyed was called The Young Master. Uh, have you heard of that one, bro? No, I haven't. I'm going to look it up as you talk. Okay, so The Young Master was uh, it caught me by surprise. It was the first film that uh, Jackie made for Golden Harvest, which was the big Hong Kong studio that he ended up doing a lot of his best work for. And it really is, I thought it was a really uh, fantastic film, though it is very plotless, like a lot of these martial arts kind of films are. Uh, and it starts off with these really great fight sequences where these uh, two teams, like, da- in a uh, Chinese dragon dance off effectively and there's a lot of combat involved with that too and then from there the film is basically just a sequence of extended impressive fight scenes leading up to a very elongated impressive fight sequence uh, at the end and as you'd expect with Jackie Chan there's various inventive uses of prop and setting and humor of course throughout uh, and it's just a very fun and a very good Jackie Chan film that I would recommend because not all of them are very good Despite uh, well, Jackie, well, I mean, I good. I think even when they're not good, yeah, Jackie Chan brings something to the table, especially if the film allows for his physicality and his stunt work to uh, show off. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and uh, that's what I said on the Police Story episode, definitely, is that I'll, I'll watch any Jackie Chan movie at least once now because I think there's a glimmer of something inspirational in there that's worth uh, seeing. There was another one I had watched called Half a Loaf of Kung Fu, which was terrible. Uh, it was supposed to be some kind of parody of these kind of films, and it was just really unfunny and boring, and uh, it was the, the action was so slow, so it was just like, there was, it wasn't really worthwhile to watch, but it was worthwhile to have seen it, so I can tell you not to watch it. <laughs> I, and I will never watch it. <laughs> so you say, Sold but me. your your track record for watching uh, not bad movies is not great, I have to say, bro. <laughs> you, you have to... Alright, fair enough, you got me. <laughs> Again, next time I'm you want someone two. to talk about Jack Frost, 
You've, you've <laughs> lost the guy. Oh, oh, all right, you got me on that one because that was that was my uh, hill to die on, and I and I desperately tried to fight for that film, and uh, well, <laughs> winter is past. <laughs> Uh, all joking aside, uh, like, the news happened two days ago, uh, about, was it two days ago, or was it yesterday? Uh, I think it was two days ago, our sad news and awkward transition to the death of, uh, Jerry Stiller. Awkward transition is my middle name. (laughs) (laughs) They they couldn't come up with a good transition to the last name, I guess. No. So it's actually a fitting... Yeah, <laughs> I'm good at jokes though, but uh, I I love Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller, I think most people nowadays will remember him for uh, his sitcom work. I'm guessing Seinfeld and King of Queens. Yeah, uh, be... sheepishly, I have to admit to having and owning a box set of King of Queens that I've watched quite a bit. But I also own a box set of Seinfeld, so it's I'm not entirely. Is David secretly <laughs> the biggest Paul Blart fan? <laughs> No, but but I do enjoy King of Queens. Patton Oswalt is my boy. I mean, I, but I think other than that, Jerry uh, Jerry still ha- had a great uh, sort of uh, presence. I think he was a very funny man. Um, especially like I I will remember him for his roles in Ben Stiller comedies like Zoolander or you know. Uh, fucking what is it heartbreak kid or whatever that's not a great movie but he's good in it uh hairspray he's in um the john waters original which is Mm -hmm. what i really like uh he was the husband in the john waters original right um, i think you're a bit more of a a john waters aficionado than i am so i imagine you have a a greater attachment to that whereas again someone who's a more casual appreciator of uh jerry stiller like i am will remember him for like seinfeld and king of queens like you said yeah, I mean, he, he was just one of those comedians that could be in anything, and even if the material wasn't amazing, he could make the thing funny. And that's just the power of comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. He was, he was very good at what he did, and he had a great career before television and movies as well. Uh, he was, you know, in a uh, comedy team with his wife on the stage. And that's so sweet. Yeah. And so it's it a very sad death. And of course, everyone online mourned his loss. Uh, you know, they shared clips from Seinfeld everywhere, and we all had a good laugh again, as we often do. I'm sad now. Uh, <laughs> do you want to move on to something less sad? <laughs> it feels like you're talking to a five-year-old. <laughs> like, oh. You want to move on from <laughs> Uh, yeah, we can move on to Popeye, I guess. How much time we got? Does, does Popeye make you less sad? Popeye does. Popeye makes me more sleepy, uh, but it makes me less sad. Say, saying Popeye also makes it sound like I'm talking to a five-year-old. Oh, do you want to talk about Popeye, bro? Popeye will make you happy. Popeye does make me happy. <laughs> I imagine the cartoon Popeye at least makes you happy. You probably have some, some familiarity with that. Are, are we getting into it now? Is it time for the yeah, edited yeah. transition? Yeah, I don't have anything more to talk about here. Again, the movie season's dead. This is what we, <laughs> we do. We awkwardly stumble around for 20 minutes, and then we end up on the film that we selected to talk about. That's how this show works. <laughs> wow. Uh, Alright, so I guess he's going to splice in the intro edit for Popeye. 
And then I'm going to ask you, so David, uh, what is your experience to Popeye before the movie? Before the movie? Um, Other than the movie. Do you, so when you say before the movie, do you mean before this viewing or before I first viewed the movie? Before you first viewed it, I guess. Okay, so I, I would say uh, that I had just kind of general pop culture knowledge of Popeye before watching the movie the first time. And between those, I have watched a fair amount of the like the 30s and 40s Max Fleischer cartoons of Popeye. So I, I have a more rounded knowledge of Popeye now coming to this with my second viewing. Okay, so how did that... It- help your viewing uh not a lot <laughs> because, <laughs> okay all right because uh, i I, guess, I don't know how much i saw what i do remember is uh, uh that there is an absence of a prominent popeye character in here in uh the jeep who is a Did very really very weird no 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 i think that would have been a bad addition to, to the film which is already has a lot of bad additions but that that would have just made things weird because jeep is to me, really to weird me in the show the jeep to this feels like adding the great gazoo to a flintstones live action yeah movie, it's which so- they did Bro, do you want to explain what the Jeep is for people who... You hate? explain it, but the Grey Gazoo is a really good way to understand it. It's, yeah, it's it's really weird because he is like the Grey Gazoo, like just, just alien present in this otherwise kind of, you know, non-scientific or sci-fi enabled show. And he just has like these weird teleporting powers where he jumps around and causes general havoc. Uh, it's it's very odd in in the show, and I don't know. I, I guess he's there for child appeal, but it's it's incongruous with everything else going on. <laughs> I will say, in defense of the Jeep and this movie, or like in putting him in this movie, I don't think this movie is very entertaining for kids. I don't know the audience for this movie. Uh, I believe it's for kids. That's how the film ended up making a lot of its money after kind of disastrous production that's what this movie was largely kind of associated with at the time like it was it was a big big budgeted thing uh project for paramount at the time and it did not and it was going way over budget and over schedule uh almost missed its christmas uh deadline and uh it somehow managed to make more than its uh, it doubled its uh cost at the box office but that was still kind of considered not what they expected out of the film so it's written off as a fairly significant flop i i definitely view this movie as the the late 70s early 80s version of the dick tracy batman thing Mm -hmm. where where they come out with a comic book movie that just breaks records and it's like oh my god this movie and then a studio goes oh wait we have another comic book movie that we can use everybody loves dick tracy Everybody loves Popeye. Let's make a two-hour movie with the same budget as Superman and see if it sells. I, I could definitely see where that came from. Uh, I know, because I did a little bit of reading, so the reason that uh, Paramount's main you know, kind of star producer, Robert Evans, picked up this project was because they had lost the bidding war for Annie. Uh, and so Robert Everett's basically asked, you know, what, what what kind of uh, cartoons do we have the license to that we can make a big budget musical out of? And so someone suggested Popeye, and that's kind of how we ended up here. Were, and, were musicals that big in the late 70s still? 
Uh, they, they kind of were. Musicals had transitioned from the uh, kind of glamorous MGM-style Gene Kelly kind of things you'd think of from the 50s into these... I'm thinking lot- of, like, fame for the 70s musicals. Right. right? Uh, a bigger one, uh, I would say probably the one I think about the most when I think of 70s musicals. I think about Jesus Christ Superstar. I think about Ooh. Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, and sure. And... Uh, and that's, I think, what you can compare this year, because what you see uh, at the end of the 60s and into the 70s here is that you take uh, the these musicals, these you know fairly successful ones or whatnot, and you put them in a realistic environment. And that's something like, and, and, you, and then you blow them up to a uh, ridiculous um, runtime as well. That's the case with something like Paint Your Wagon from the late 60s, which was another big disaster. That's uh, the case with Fiddler on the Roof, which was successful, alternatively. And that's largely where Popeye ends up as well, is that you take it and you you, you put it, in, and, and that's one of the things right off the bat you see as the film begins, is that we're in this hyper-realistic setting, this lavishly decorated uh, town in this alcove, and this weird musical soundtrack coming up along with it. <laughs> well, what's, what's so weird is it's, the physics and the look of, or like the physical aesthetic of it is what's realistic, right? The right. town that they specifically built for Popeye, which is Sweet Haven, um, that that was all unique to the film, and it was very realistic and grounded. Robin Williams as Popeye has like huge prosthetic forearms, and they're just like they just look like hunks of turkey, and it's... yeah, that's... I guess go ahead. I was going to say, that's the, the odd thing about the film, just right out the gate, and I think that it's, it's not only a product of the time and the way that musicals were made, but it's also what happens when you have Robert Altman adapt a comic book character. Altman, of course, is much better known for very, like, naturalistic direction, and, uh, you know, his films are identified by a lot of, like, overlapping dialogue and, you know, that, that kind of environment with everything going on, and you see that come through in Popeye. And it's weird. There's there's a <laughs> lot of ADR work. Um, oh, oh, there mainly is. Cause, mainly because Robin Williams couldn't actually talk. Like, you or- could just tell that, like, he just moved his mouth and muttered on set. And then, like, he could just talk in ADR later, you know? Yeah, talk and sing. He sings as Popeye in the Popeye voice. And I can't imagine that you could do that live. Because that was the other thing, is that, like... Uh, Altman did on Nashville, he had everyone record the songs live on set originally, and uh, I'm sure as you can imagine that caused further issues, delays. That might have been a <laughs> stupid idea, Dave. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> that I, might have been a ridiculous idea. It's just like like watching the whole time, uh, that's, that's just the weirdest thing is that, and I think Popeye is fascinating because you see so much of the, uh, truthfulness of, of Popeye they're trying to keep the comic origins but you also see the Altmanisms all coming through at the same time and they clash in these very you know conflicting ways and they cause a lot of issues and dissonance in the film and so it's like this fascinating disaster you're watching unfold but at the same time you can't help but be endeared to a lot of what's going on no, I don't yeah I, I mean yeah I, I like Popeye. I like a lot of the physicality <laughs> right so a lot of the a lot of the cartoony aspects are actually in the physics of mm-hmm. how the actors react so like you'll see like i don't think it's bluto that bluto did do this yeah he, he like squishes a guy down and like the guy's stunt work is just like 
he's squishing down with him, and then he's just, like, walking around like that. There was no, like, real tricks to it. It was just the actor doing that. That looks really cool. Um, there's different moments of, like, Popeye swimming through the ocean, like, super fast like a boat. The, yeah, like, he, just, he becomes a submarine at, at the end of the film at one point. Like, he uses his cob, at, or his, his cob pipe as a, uh, yeah. what, what do you call it, a... Uh, you know, Periscope. You know, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> I'm good at this. <laughs> and, and he jets uh, no. across, like, yeah, so the film maintains uh, cartoon physics and, you know, the the physicality of slapstick humor throughout, and that is, is that, again, that weird dissonance, because everything else, like, the, the town is so drab-looking, it's very drained of color, but then you have, like, Popeye and Olive Oil, who are very vibrantly colored in their costumes at many different points in the film. Oh, yeah. No, speaking of color, that speaks to my two favorite shots of the film. Can you oh. guess what my two sh- favorite shots of the film are when I say that? Uh, I'm going to guess the first one is when uh, Bluto sees red. Yes! <laughs> and everything in it, it, it like like Popeye and Olive Oil and Sweet Pea, and, and, and even the background, it all becomes red costume and, and set design there. And then I'm going to guess the second one is at the end where they do a similar joke where he's running away and they say, look, he's turned yellow. And he's wearing yellow. Yeah, you yeah. got me. You've you done it. You figured it out. <laughs> well, I thought it was hard. subtle, but it wasn't subtle. I'm sure that's what the filmmakers thought, too. <laughs> um, let me ask you. So Harry Nilsson, the guy that did the Lime and the Coconut song, he, that guy he, is the one that did all of the music for this musical. How do you feel about the music in Popeye? Oof. Uh, <laughs> it's, it is <laughs> it's bad. It's going to take your time. It's, it's a tough question. It's very bad in lots of different ways. And it's and it was shocking to me to see that it was Harry Nilsson. Because not only did he do that, but he did the fantastic uh, music for uh, the opening of Midnight Cowboy. Uh, which we talked about before in the podcast. Uh, is a very he's not a bad song. musician. No, no, he's a great, respected folk artist, and uh, I don't know what the hell happened here. Why? I <laughs> I think I think what happened was they're like, all right, we got to make a musical for Popeye. How the fuck are we going to do this? Popeye does not speak plain English at all. In fact, he has a gravelly voice that speaks very fast, which isn't very good for melody. Um, olive oil is mainly known for speaking off-key, and Bluto talks only in monosyllabic grunts. So, where are we going here? <laughs> and, then he, and then Harry Nilsson, I think, is creative in how he makes songs, so he thought he could approach it in a way that utilizes those. But it, it doesn't work. That's, I mean, I think if that's your theory, uh, that this sounds like the most logical thing to me, because the songs are so, so simplistic, and they're very boring in many ways. They're not creative. He's uh, large. Yeah. Large. Even at the gate, they're like, sweet, sweet haven. And it's, and it's just like the most boring, rote melodies you can think of. They're very repetitive. Uh, it, it, I, I don't know what else to say beyond that because they are, and, and oftentimes, especially when it comes to uh, olive oil songs, they're, they're not sung in key whatsoever. And I think you might be right, and that's kind of intentional, but that doesn't make it good. I, I agree. I think this was a thing where they thought they were being smart and it would work, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, Robin Williams has to sing as Popeye, and that just it becomes unintelligible at certain points uh, during his "I Am What I Am" song. I I, I put on subtitles this watch. <laughs> I don't blame you because it would it would be very hard to catch everything, especially because like half the times Williams is riffing things under his breath, uh, and you know, and hoping that he can kind of sneak it in under the radar because Altman is a very like. Uh, not as much, I guess he was he was buying into that. Although he is a very improvisational director, I, I don't I don't know why he didn't let Robin Williams fly here. I think I think Robin Williams, Shelley Duvall are possibly some of the best casting you could do for a comic movie. Like yeah. I remember seeing when during research, like who who, who was the original Popeye and uh, Olive Oil? Do you, do you have that on you, real quick? For the cartoon, you mean, or no, no, for the for the movie. Oh, casting. I know uh, Dustin Hoffman was originally attached to play uh, Popeye at one point, which I could see. I could see that happening. Uh, not as good as Robin. No, Williams. no, certainly. I agree, not as good, but I could see him doing it, especially like uh, kind of going back to Dick Tracy. You remember his role as Mumbles in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lily Tomlin same, same was thing. going to be Olive Oil. There you go. Which is also like okay. That's not but, bad. But I don't know how you could get a more, be- uh, a better physical representation of olive oil than Shelley Duvall. Like, l- look at her. She is olive oil. <laughs> she she is a thin, lanky, ghostly, off-key, moaning, but with love. I'm saying all of this with love. Yes, love. yes, of course. Because <laughs> that's Duvall. what olive oil is, too. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I believe I read somewhere like in the... Uh, original uh like promotion for the film she said that she used to be called olive oil in school which i can completely imagine of course of course she would be it's honestly really impressive and i don't know anything about the actor who plays bluto um but i thought he was okay i don't think he's saying i'm sure someone else sang his songs yeah (laughs) it it wasn't him so much that was the problem it's just like the the material wasn't suited to be good for Bluto in any kind of way. Uh, well, I don't know if it's necessarily suited for anyone. Like, the script is probably the biggest disaster of all, but uh, for the most part, Robin Williams super nails his part. Uh, Shelley Duvall is fantastic as Olive Oil. She's exactly what she needs to be, even when she is a little obnoxious. Uh, and the fact that they're so good in those roles, and, you know, Altman's able to direct them so well, is what makes the film consistently endearing and endurable as you go along if, if you didn't have those great people embodying the parts like I, I also think there's moments in it where you get tired this is a two-hour yeah I, I had to sit down and almost die basically i was so <laughs> bored but once in a while they'll do something and they'll add something that makes you care about the movie and for me the first time it happened was sweepy the baby mm-hmm. When they added the baby, I think it made Popeye and Olive Oil much more bearable and enduring, and I liked them. Yeah. And then, I- later on, when they add Pappy, Poop Deck Pappy, oh. uh, Popeye's father, uh, I liked that as well. I thought those were great dynamics. Uh, I do love Pappy, uh, especially because he's played by a very wonderful character actor I love, Ray Walston, uh, who's probably most famous for his you know leading part on My Favorite Martian. But uh, I love him from lots of supporting roles in Billy Wilder films. Wow. And he, he's a great, he's a perfect foil for uh, Popeye's father. I, I honestly think, like, if we can praise the normal cast, I think 
the best part of the movie is the set and the extended yep. cast. The thing I liked most about the start, because there wasn't a lot to like in the start, was the amount of physical gags in the background and the amount of physicality within the set and the interactions between the people. There's a lot Does of that really make sense? yeah no I, I completely agree because it, it is such a like a a kind of lived in environment not only in the design of the set but in the way the characters embody the places and the locales and the people who play all the parts. There's a lot of the comic characters who are brought to life by really uh, great character actors. I especially love uh, the tax man in the beginning who's played by Donald Moffat. He's very funny I think throughout, uh, and I just like the idea of his character as well going around taxing every little thing he can. And then uh, that's a course, that's a ten cent podcast hack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I also love uh, Wimpy, played by uh, Paul Dooley. He's the guy who's always eating burgers. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's another thing is as well like that that song, annoying <laughs> and repetitive as it is. I I am still kind of taken by the everything is food song. I don't know. I my I, favorite. My favorite song is the mean song by Pluto. That's, <laughs> that's to me, like, because number one, it's short. The problem yeah. with a lot of these are they go on too long. I wouldn't mind the, the musical if it was like, if, if it was mean every time, where they would do the basic shit, but like it lasted for a minute. Right. That would be well- fine. And it's so weird because the musical sequences seem to come at the weirdest of times. Like, they just, like, they interrupt the movie. Like, you're like, oh, oh, we're starting a song now? Okay, this is odd. (laughs) I think that goes into mainly the olive oil ones. Because the olive oil ones definitely feel like they're breaking into the music. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Where she's like, I'm going to force this into a song. And then everyone else is like, uh, what? The the other one I... The one I felt that especially with was the, the Popeyes one, the I am what I am, where they're at the, the race track thing. Uh, it's not really a race track. It's a it's a mechanical horse race track on a wall that everyone's betting on. Uh, and, Which and, sounds like a terrible betting system, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, but uh, and so it's weird because it is one of those, like, the action is still going on while Popeye just kind of jumps around the room singing his song. And nobody's paying attention to him, <laughs> and, it, and it's one of those weird moments. Like, I'm don't, don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a love musicals. I'm a great musical guy, and I'm fine if people break out a song at you know illogical times. But when everything else is still going on like normal, there's definitely a, a weird factor, you know, going on. Well, what's what's so weird to me about that moment is I think, in a story sense, that's supposed to be the triumphant declaration of who he is. He is like, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Yo, mm-hmm. everyone needs to listen to me, and then no one listens to him. That's a very <laughs> conflicting message. The matter, well, and I think that speaks to the film's main problem, which is that it has zero structure. Uh, I, uh, can you tell me what the story for this film is exactly? Oh man! Uh, so Popeye randomly goes to this town out of the entire world. To look for his father. He has no... He doesn't have an image of his father. He doesn't have a name. He's just like, I get the feeling my dad is here. That's a great joke, by the way. That the the picture of his dad and then his dad's picture of him as well. It just says, me pop, or whatever. It's just writing in a picture frame. That's a funny joke. It's like, me me son, too. It made me happy when Pappy opened the treasure. And it was basically just... Popeye's little baby stuff and then spinach. That was right. heartwarming. 
<laughs> but yes, go go on with the story of the film. I can't believe we're doing this 42 minutes into the cast. But <laughs> he he goes to Sweet Haven to look for his dad, and he can't find a room because the entire town doesn't want him. And so he finds up uh, taking room with the oils, um, and olive oil is marrying the uh, the Bluto, the sidekick to the never seen quote unquote. Is his name Chief? Like, what do they call him before? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't... Uh, Commodore, right? They right. Commodores. Right. Right. I think so. Yeah. Yes, it's Commodore. <laughs> yeah. So there. So Bluto basically takes and the taxman take money from everyone in the town in the name of the Commodore, and um, nothing happens after that until <laughs> Papa... <laughs> I just have to skip like 40 minutes of this film. <laughs> until uh, they find a baby, and the baby can uh, predict the future, so Bluto takes the baby. And it turns out the Commodore is Popeye's dad, secretly, and no one knew. And uh, they all have a fight at the end... To, so Popeye can save olive oil, the baby, fight Bluto, fight the squid, learn to like spinach, because before this, he doesn't like spinach. This is basically a superhero origin. <laughs> and that's it. Am I done? I'm out of breath. Yeah, I, th- I think what you gloss over there is that you skip about 40 minutes in between like each section, where, where just like seemingly nothing happens in between plot beats. Uh, and then you're like, okay, so then, then we get to that, like, like that whole bit where he meets his father and they fight a giant squid. That's like in the last 20 minutes or so of the movie. You got me. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That happened. And, yeah. and so Bravo, that was a great job. Cause you did, you exempl- uh, you, you showcased exactly what I was looking for there and how, uh, like meandering the film ends up being at many points how insignificant a lot of what happens is how there doesn't seem to be a real thrust to anything going on and like solutions just kind of pop up uh do you remember how popeye's father comes into the picture he just shows up at one point no no i do remember (laughs) i david i'm a lore master i know i know everything that happens in the story bluto takes the baby and goes to the Commodore, because he does talk to the Commodore. Okay, okay. And he says, hey, listen, Pappy, uh, this baby can predict the future. We can make the money. And Pappy is just a grumpy Gus. And he's like, I don't want to predict no future. I don't like the future. I don't like the past. I don't like anything. <laughs> this is funny. And, and I guess as, as well we should point out that uh, the reason we know the baby can predict the future is because of the electronic horse racetrack thing where... Uh, the burger guy's character finds out that the baby figures out what the winning horse is every time. Apparently, apparently, it came from the boxing match. Mm, right, there's a when, boxing match as well, which I forgot about <laughs> until this moment. That was that was 20 minutes that you just forgot about, David. I hope yep. you're happy. Yeah, so we gotta go back. Well, 20 minutes you didn't remind me of either until just <laughs> now, so. Uh, but yeah, and it's a shame, because that boxing match is actually pretty good. It's a good physical bit and everything, and he's fighting someone who looks like King Hippo, and he, uh, you know, he takes him on, and after that guy beats the crap out of Castor Oil, Olive's brother, who's not a very significant part of the film, but he's there. But the joke is, <laughs> is his name's Castor. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's basically the, the big problem is that the film is kind of all over the place, not only from like a, a structural standpoint, but uh, just also like 
atmospheric again with the clash of style and you know realism versus cartoon reality and such uh, and then it comes around towards the end with the squid fight, and you're like, oh, okay, so all of the budget went into the set, and not this finale with the squid climax, <laughs> which is just a giant rubber thing that looks like Bella Lugosi should be fighting. <laughs> oh, man. Were you more harsh on this movie than me? No, because I, I like the film. Uh, I do. I, I'm, I'm endeared by it, uh, and I'm fascinated by all the bizarreness of it going on. Uh, and it's just, it makes more sense for me to highlight the things that, that don't work, but I'm, I'm still I endeared agree. by how it, it doesn't work. And I, I don't think it's a good movie. I can't in good conscience say that this is a good movie. However, <laughs> it's a fascinating I would, movie. <laughs> I would be sad if this movie disappeared tomorrow. Yeah, no, like, I, if no one had any memory of it. I think we would be at a cultural loss. Let the record show that I pitched this movie to talk about with you, not only because I thought it would be interesting to kind of deconstruct and go over the bizarreness of it and, like, the cartoon comparisons and such, but also just because I I am entertained by the movie despite the very, very dull patches that it has. You're right in that two hours is much too long for what this is, which is, again, you know, par for the course for these, you know, big-budget musical, you know, adaptations. Yeah. How how do you feel about it in Robin Williams's filmography? It makes sense. It makes sense as a Robin Williams film. Uh, you know, I, I think it's. I won't say it's aged like something like a uh, Mrs. Doubtfire has, which is not as good uh, now as it may have been in the ni- uh, '90s or whatever. Uh, I just think it was that level of mediocre off the bat, <laughs> and everyone knew that. <laughs> but I but mean, it makes I sense. I still think it's one of those things where like. I, Robin Williams reminds me of Jim Carrey in a way, um, and you're not one alone. Of those things where like the actor can elevate, or he doesn't even elevate the material, but it's more like when you see the movie and you think the movie's like meh, you don't blame him. No, you know? yeah, like I said, it's definitely a lot of other things. It's not Robin Williams himself. Uh, you know, if you cut the musical aspects of it, this would be a lot better, I think, for sure. Uh, you wouldn't have as many awkward moments. Uh, but he, he does a great job at being Popeye. I believe him as Popeye, and I think he's great. He's got the, the cartoon physicality. He's got the, the grumbly voice bit down. But he also has that signature Williams humor uh, imbued into the character, so it's not just a translation from uh, cartoon to live action. Yeah, I, I, and I get, I'm, I'm impressed by that. The, mm-hmm. Those are the impressive bits. It's, especially it since works, this... This was his first big role. This is his first big starring role as well. Uh, so that's uh, some, somewhat notable. Damn. Yeah, no, see, like, to me, even if this movie even if this movie didn't sell, I would see this movie as a big-time executive and go, Robin Williams, you know, has what it takes. Mm-hmm. This, you could definitely see it in here. Um, yeah, I like this film a lot, and I think when it shines, it shines magic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think what it does best is that it manages manages to capture your heart, despite all of the the really crap stuff around it. Uh, I think all of the characters really pull you into the world, and again, that fantastic set design. Uh, you really see the money up there on the screen, and uh, it, it's kind of uh, enrapturing when they first open on the town. And I think that that's a big uh, factor in sucking you into the world itself, uh, even if. The execution of everything else is, is muddled at best. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not a huge expert on Robert Altman. How did he feel about Popeye after? 
in retrospect. You know, I, I haven't found too much of uh, what he thought of the movie, which is a shame because I'm very fascinated as to what brought him to this project in the first place because this is not at all like a Robert Altman kind of film. Uh, he, I, I, if I were to suspect, I think money might, <laughs> might be an answer. Maybe, but he was—he wasn't really a director to chase money a lot. I can't find—I can't point to anything else necessarily in his filmography that is like Popeye. It's—it's it's very odd, especially after coming off of a string of major '70s hits, which were this this fusion of uh, blockbuster wide audience appeal and you know kind of like art house uh, filmmaking techniques and uh, thematic weaving in. Like just a couple years earlier, he had done Three Women. Which is this very like dreamy Mulholland Drive esque kind of film, uh, and you know before that he did like Nashville, which is this huge major scale, uh, you know like twenty six leading cast member uh, Americana infused musical extravaganza that really sums up uh, the state of uh, the economic and uh, political state of America at the time, and uh, then he did some other things and made Popeye eventually. <laughs> Yeah, you had, like, an actual academic essay going on until you said, then he made Popeye. <laughs> and that's why it's weird. That's why it stands out in his filmography. It's because it's a very bizarre film. And, again, I'm, I'm confounded by how uh, the film even became an idea to make in the first place. They're like, let's make a musical version of Popeye and we'll sell it as our big Christmas ticket and everyone will go see it. It's, uh, I think it's indicative in, in many ways of the the titanic shift of the, the 70s and the beginning of it when the studio system when uh filmmakers like altman or spielberg or scorsese or de palma one were just given like free reign to do whatever because the hollywood the golden age studio system had just collapsed and they didn't know how to appeal to the new generation and then by the time jaws comes out and they figure out the mass appeal again and they start shifting towards making solely blockbusters from there on, and I think that's indicative of how you get Popeye. That's all fair. I, I agree. And I think in that sense, it becomes a very important historical relic. Yeah. It's it's not a, a huge, huge flop uh, as, as people think it is. I know there was like a joke at the time where uh, it was called Evans Gate, uh, which is just basically a riff off of Heaven's Gate, which was the big uh, Michael Cimino film, which did lead to the crash in you know the auteur-driven uh, studio filmmaking process. Uh, but again, it, it, it did turn a profit, a fairly significant one, uh, but not enough to for the studio to consider it worthwhile. Gosh darn it, studios. Why couldn't I get a Popeye 2 starring the G? You know, I still, uh, I guess just to round it back to where we were, I would be very excited if that uh, Tark uh, Gendy film, the Gendy animated Popeye, came to fruition finally. Uh, well, that... I mean, I think we finally hit a point where people take uh, theatrical animation, not like super seriously, but like seriously enough to where you can make a really good hour and a half Popeye film. You know? Yes. Yeah, especially if you have someone creative behind it like Gendy. He's even made he's done a, a great job in the feature films. Did you are you a fan at all of the Hotel Transylvania films? I have seen the first two, and I agree. I don't I don't know how much uh, creativity he had in the later installments, but he does a really capable job. I think Hotel Transylvania was definitely like his putting in his movie dues. I think I think the studios owe him this one. I'm sure. Hotel Transylvania made them millions upon millions, you know? You, you know what Sony eventually went with instead of the Popeye movie, right? No. 
instead of greenlining the Popeye movie, they decided to make the Emoji movie. Oh, man. Would that work out for him? What's yeah. Emoji movie 4 coming out? So, so that's what they decided was more appealing and worthy of their time and money than that very, like, again, if you go and watch that test footage that they, they did for the Popeye uh, animated film there, it's it's a uh, it's heartbreaking stuff just because it, it never came to fruition yet, and it's it's so fluid, it's so lively, and it's so uh, committed to the spirit of the the original cartoons, the Fleischer cartoons, which I, I do have a lot of affection for. Uh, Fleischer in particular, I think he was a, of course, I'm sure as many do, an, an animated uh, animation giant. Uh, I I like Superman, so you don't have to tell me about <laughs> Fleischer. Fleischer Superman is like the best Superman. But, yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to the world we are in now, where even if that rumor I heard was not true, that a studio could look at the internet and look at what people say, and they could get a Q&A test audience right now and tell them, no, we don't want an emoji movie. How stupid are you? And if they listen, they lose, or if they listen, they make money, and if they don't listen, they make the emoji movie and lose money. I think the the interesting thing as well is that I, I would say that the film is a testament to the the universality of Popeye, uh, the fact that he can exist in so many different iterations. There's something timeless about his uh, his his style, his uh, appeal, his uh, comic sensibilities. I think all of it uh, you know transcends uh, each iteration because he existed in comic forms in three different decades. This movie which, again, despite its flaws, is very entertaining, and the character of Popeye is endearing and lovable, and, of course, the the outcry for that animated film that we desperately want now. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I think everyone gets Popeye. I think even children now get Popeye. Yeah. It's like, it's, he's a sailor guy, he eats his veggies, and he becomes super strong. It's, it's so simple, but oh, I, I guess that was something we glossed over, we touched on a little bit, but... Uh, the moment when he does eat the spinach, where, where Bluto forces the spinach down his throat in the movie is, is pretty great and a nice way to fulfill that thing with the, the famous uh, music from, from Popeye as he, when he eats his spinach. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I see it as like a superhero origin story. The time Popeye ate his spinach. Yeah. And in that, I think, I think it's, it's cool. It's fine. Is that, is that the subtitle for the film? Is that what we should call it now? Um, it's not a good one. Don't put me in the marketing team. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I'm, I'm glad that uh, we highlighted this one because I was thinking about it. And uh, I don't know, maybe Calvin did inspire it in some way because he has been watching a number of Robert Altman films lately. And uh, I think he might regret a little bit not coming on to talk about this one. Maybe even defending it. I know he has a bit more affection for this than I or you might. <laughs> Well, listeners, which which podcast would you have rather missed out on? Alien or Popeye? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I was more than happy to be here for the Popeye one. I don't know how much I would have had to say about Alien that already hasn't been said, but, uh, you know, I was very thankful that you could fill in for me that day. I don't even remember why I was gone. Probably just didn't want to be there. I wanted to listen to Calvin talk to somebody else for a day. Or Oh, 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 really? Maybe, maybe you're the cut. <laughs> you ever think of that? You caught I, me. I think we're finding some deep lessons out right now. I'm I'm projecting is what it is, and so that's why I called Calvin out on his similar fascistic listening to us here. 
but hopefully he enjoys this one. Uh, maybe it'll be less painful to edit than the police story one. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> we're, we're, I think we're ripping apart his beloved Popeye. As much, if not a little bit more of a mess than the actual Popeye movie, and that's fitting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was you know what? I'm gonna say it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, just because it's intentional doesn't mean it's good. There you go, guys. There's your tactic. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>